Now, turn with me today to the book of Romans. I want to read from Romans chapter 10. I have to confess to you as you're turning to the place, I uh, was thinking of preaching a message on another aspect of the life and times of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And I was working in that at the beginning of the week. I've had a busy week, of course, uh, one thing or another. And um, I, I still wasn't sure in my mind. And I was in uh, Tandragee on Friday. Uh, in actual fact, I was sitting on the platform and I was saying to the Lord uh, in my spirit, uh, Lord, I shouldn't be here. I should be at home studying. It's, it's now Thursday and I still haven't got a message for the morning. Uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Lord, help me. And, and that's what I was, just as I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, as I was sitting, there were three thoughts come into my head. Uh, and I, I, I hadn't even a text. I hadn't a passage of Scripture. And I said, well, Lord, that's good to have an outline, but I need a passage. I need a text. And this passage of Scripture came straight away into my head. I didn't even write them down. I hadn't even the need to write them down because I knew that I would remember the, the, the three thoughts. And it's Romans chapter 10 this morning that, that I'm going to share a few thoughts on that came to me on Thursday afternoon. Romans chapter 10, we're going to read together the first 13 verses. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 13. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. 
Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And I want us to think this morning of three great truths that are part and parcel of the gospel message. I want you to think first of all today from this text of the power of the scriptures. Look at the words. For the scripture saith. You see, the apostle Paul is quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. He's using the scriptures to back up and affirm his declared truth in verse is 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth that confession is made unto salvation. For or because the scripture saith. And he's using that of course to bring men and women back to what the Bible says about this subject. And he's quoting from such passages as Isaiah 28 and verse 16. He that believeth on him shall not make haste. That is, he shall not run away and hide because he's, he's not ashamed of the one upon whom he has trusted. It also ties into Jeremiah 17 and verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And also from Isaiah 49, verse 23. And as I sat on the platform on Friday in Tandragee, the word scriptures come into my mind. The power of the scriptures. And of course, as a church, we take a high view of the scriptures. We take a high view of the book that we call the Holy Bible. And we've been singing, there is a book and that book, young people, is the Holy Bible. And, and, and as a church, we believe the Bible to be infallible, inerrant, and the inspired word of God. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, Unto every good work. And that word inspiration for all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration uh, in the Greek is theonustos. Uh, and it means the breath of God. Theo is God and eustos is breath. You see, the Bible, the Holy Bible that we read from every Sunday is a, is a God-breathed book. It's not just words in a paper. It's not just ordinary words like any other book written in the English language. What you're actually reading is God's breathed words. When we read the Bible, let's remember this truth that God has spoken. The Bible teaches us in its internal testimony, Proverbs 30 and 5, every word of God is pure. 
So we believe this morning in the infallibility and the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. We also believe in its sole authority. That Martin Luther, way back in the 15th century, he proclaimed the truth of sola scriptura. Only the Scriptures. And by that he meant the authority of the Bible is not dependent on the Pope or the priest or dependent on the Church of Rome, or dependent on any Protestant church either. Its authority isn't derived from me as the minister or or the elders. Its authority doesn't rest in any particular institution in the country. Its authority is derived from God himself as the living and the true God. And therefore the Bible is the sole rule of faith and practice for the people of God all over the world. Our catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And we could answer, I could get some of the young people to answer, and they could answer man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So so that's why we exist. That's why mankind is in the world. We exist for this purpose to glorify God and to enjoy him forever that's the purpose of human beings all over the world now how is that possible what rule have God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him and here's the answer listen carefully the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the old and new testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. You see, it's what saith the scriptures. Or, or to put it in modern colloquialism, what does the Bible teach? See, the third question in the catechism is this, what do the scriptures principally teach? And the answer is what man is to believe concerning God. And what duty God requireth of him. If you remember back in a little story for the boys and girls, we thought about the Bible and an acrostic, five letters, B-I-B-L-E, be instructed before leaving earth. And you see, the Bible is God's instruction manual about what we're to believe concerning him and what duty God does require of us. The Bible teaches about, about the existence of God. The Bible teaches us about the being and the character of God. What is God like? Well, well, here's the answer. From the scriptures, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The Bible also teaches us about the power of God. What God has done, and it points us to the great work of creation. It points us to the great work of redemption. It points us to the great work of providence. And if if I could put it this way for the young people, so you can remember it easily, because it helps me to remember it. The Bible teaches us that God is our maker. He hath made me, you think of that. The Bible teaches us that God is our redeemer. The Bible teaches us that God is our controller. He he has ordained all things that whatsoever comes to pass. And God is our provider. And if you could get that into your head, 
it, it, you don't need high-sounding theological terms. God is maker, redeemer. God is provider. God is controller. You've learned something profound, something wonderful. Remember, the Bible teaches us, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. You know the biggest fool in the world? The biggest fool is the atheistic fool. An atheistic fool is an individual who's devoid of light and understanding because he refuses to accept that God is maker, redeemer, provider, and ordainer. For a man to say that God doesn't exist, he's saying, well, I'm not dependent on him. That individual has forgotten that in him he moves and lives in his being. We not only live before God, but we live by God. We only exist by his good pleasure. We only exist because he has given us breath to breathe and health and strength to enjoy. Do you know our breath is in his hand? And, and, and our life, I, I like to think of it, hangs like a slender thread. We'll call it the thread of life. And God at any moment could snip the thread of life and take us out of time into eternity. And that's what keeps men and women out of hell. It's the sheer good pleasure and the mercy of God. The Bible also teaches us about our sinful state. And we could come into the doctrine of human sinfulness. Man is a bad record and a bad heart before God. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible also teaches us about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls upon us to repent. Repent ye and be converted. The Bible calls upon us to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible calls upon us to live a life of loving obedience and service toward God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right believing results in right living. The two go together. If I say I believe in God and, and believe in the doctrine of human sinfulness and believe in the personal work of Christ and believe in the need to repent and receive Christ and, and, and believe that, that I ought to, to live before God, then my belief ought to condition my behavior. Our belief determines our behavior. Doesn't the Bible warn us about that awful place called hell? And the eternal punishment for sin? Does it not say the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God? The Bible also teaches about the glories of heaven and the glories of home. Could, could I just say this morning the Bible doesn't merely contain the word of God. I believe it is the word of God. And it contains the whole counsel of God. It contains all that's necessary for a person's faith and practice. All that's necessary for what he's to believe and how he's to conduct his life in all the multifacetedness of that life. I could preach a whole sermon or try to on the infallibility and the inerrancy and the inspiration, the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. But let me just say this. I want you to think this morning there is a book. Think of the wonder of its formation. It's a God-breathed book. God-breathed by the Holy Spirit on men. And they wrote down the words of God in ancient Hebrew and Greek. Think of the wonder of its unification. This is a library of 66 books. 
written over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 authors from different backgrounds. And yet, it's one book, two testaments, we know, the Old and the New Testament, but still one book. And, and the theme of both testaments is this, the great story of redemption through Christ's blood sacrifice on the tree. And, and there's a blood lane running through the Bible. Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise to, to our parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden or outside the Garden of Eden. And all the way through to the book of Revelation, you could trace that line of redemption. Think of the wonder of its construction. It's an old book. Ancient, we're well aware. But isn't it read by all classes of people? The rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated. Written by and large by many who were classified as uneducated men. And yet it's a literary genius. Yet it stands head and shoulders above any other book in the world. Why? Because it's God's book. And could I just remind you young people, the stories of Daniel and the den of lions, the story of Jonah and the whale, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Lot. And these are all denied today in the schools and in the universities. These are, are laughed at as, as sort of on the par of Cinderella and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But I want to tell you, these are not just stories. These are historical stories. And the Lord Jesus himself, he mentioned every one of them. Isn't that fascinating? And to me, if it was good enough for the Lord Jesus, if he believed in Daniel and Moses and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction and, and, and Jonah and the whale, then, then I bow the knee and say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And I follow him. And, and, and if he's not Lord of all, then he's a lunatic. I say it reverently, or else he's guilty of lies. So when you read the Bible and read these stories, you accept them as literary historical stories that God has revealed. Think of the wonder of its preservation. Isn't the Bible the most hated and despised of all books in society? Has been throughout countless ages. Yet it continues on to this day. In fact, it thrives. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets. The law repairs to the five books of Moses. I'm not come to destroy the prophets, the major or the minor prophets, but they fulfill them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, he says, For I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law, that that's a synonym for the scriptures, till all be fulfilled. Do you know what one jot is and one tittle? It's the smallest point in the Hebrew language. Not one will be broken. This fact, the Bible says the scripture cannot be broken. This is the book of books, young people. Can I urge you this morning... I want you to examine your heart. And I want to ask you this question. I asked it to myself regularly. Do I love the scriptures? Do you love your Bible? 
The psalmist said, Oh, how I love thy law. Again, a synonym for the scriptures. It is my meditation all the day. We, we sang Psalm 1 deliberately. The godly man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. A wee fellow was at school. He was come from a missionary family, and he was asked to write a story, an essay, like a comprehension by the teacher. And the story was, My Greatest Treasure. And you know what he wrote about? My greatest treasure is the Holy Bible. There is a great truth in that. Do you love the scriptures? Young people, could I encourage you to lift the Bible daily? To read a portion? To lay God's word into your heart and mind if you want to be a godly young person? Could I encourage you to, to learn the scriptures? Oh yes, there's things in the Bible hard to understand, isn't there? Do you know Peter said that? I said that to a man not so long ago. He said to me, there's loads of things in the Bible hard to understand. Do you find them hard to understand, Reverend? And I said, oh, I do. Do you, he says. I says, yes. And do you know I'm in good company? For so did the Apostle Peter. If you read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, he mentioned there's some things in the Scriptures that are hard to understand. Peter felt the very same way. And what do you do? Well, will you pray to God. And you seek his face. And you ask him to help and to give you light and the understanding. The book's not just dry. We must learn the scriptures. We, we must live by the scriptures. We must embrace the scriptures because it, it's, 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 it's quick and powerful. Isn't that what Paul said, Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. It, it's like seed. Somebody had a little seed one time. It was an ancient seed. I believe it was well over about 3,000 years old. They wanted to know if it would grow. They put it into the ground. They put a slab of concrete over it. And over time, that little seed grew, germinated, and came up through the concrete. And there was a little green shoot through a crack in the concrete. See, the word of God is like precious seed. It's quick. It's powerful. It's a sword. It cuts deep into your heart. It's like the sun. It, it, its light penetrates the darkness of the mind. Was not how Augustine was converted. He heard children playing. A little game, take and read, take and read. And he took the book. And he read in Romans 13 verses 11 to 14. And the light of God shone into his heart. And that ungodly young man, of course his mother, was praying for him. And he got converted. And he became one of the early church fathers there in North Africa. Don't neglect your Bible. Love the scriptures. Learn the scriptures. Live by the scriptures. I believe that's one of the big sins of the day. The book's not been read. The book's able to make you wise unto salvation. Make you wiser than your enemies. Wiser than your teachers. Plan to read the scriptures. Read it daily. Read it slowly, prayerfully. Read it consecutively. I want you to think secondly, and I'll be very quick. Not only of the power of the scriptures, but the second thought that came to me was the presentation of the Savior. It says in our text, if you look at it, whosoever believeth on him. Underline the words on him. Who is the apostle Paul referring to? Well, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't he mention verse 9? 
the Lord Jesus, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then he says in verse 12, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Look at those fours, and, and we could literally change the word for and, and, and use the word because. He is continuing to build up the argument. Because the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him should not be ashamed. Because there's no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's the presentation of the Savior. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, this morning we want to affirm again our belief in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, his eternal sonship. Jesus Christ, young people, is no other than God's only begotten Son. He's the God-man, not just a good man, a great man, a gracious man, a glorious man. He's the God-man. And we should never lose sight of that. Great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And I could open up the scriptures this morning. I'm not going to do it. There's nine explicit references in the Bible that teach and affirm that Jesus Christ is none other than God in the flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Remember in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, one of his names was, and he shall be called the mighty God. Isaiah 7 and 14, his name shall be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And if you just look back a chapter there in Romans chapter 9 and verse Five, it says, whose are the fathers? And of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who was over all God blessed forever. Amen. And there's one of the references, one of those explicit references that clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is called God. Whose are the fathers? And of whom as concerning the flesh, it's referring to the Jewish people. Christ came. Who is Christ? Who is Overall, God bless forever. Amen. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was born for us. We, we could talk about the virgin birth of Christ and the doctrine of the incarnation. The Lord Jesus Christ lived for us, a sinless life. He kept the law of God perfectly. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. The Father said from heaven three times, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible teaches it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Christ died for us. In this text, or in the context, in verse 9 and 10, it's mentioned that God had raised him from the dead. Think of the word dead. It just reminds us that the Lord Jesus died in Mount Calvary. The Bible teaches, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The hymn writer said, bearing shame and scoffing, rude in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Christ rose again from the dead for us. The doctrine of the resurrection, the empty tomb. And one of the highlights of any visit to the land of Israel is the garden tomb in the city of Jerusalem. There's the character of Christ. And it's, it's coming out here. And also there's the confession of Christ. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. 
Do you know him this morning? Is he your Lord and Savior? Was there a day and time in your life when you trusted him as your personal Lord and Redeemer? You bowed the knee. You cried out like the publican, God be merciful to me, the sinner. You cried out like Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. Have you ever wanted to be saved? Desired to be saved? Do, do you know your need to be saved? There was a Welsh poet. I believe it was also a pastor lived in the 1700s, a man by the name of John Dreyer, or Dyer. And he said this, and I quote, a man may go to heaven without health. You could have bodily sickness and infirmity. You could even be disabled. You can go to heaven without riches. You don't need to be a millionaire or a billionaire. You can go to heaven without honors. You don't have any letters after your name. You don't have any title. You go to heaven without lands, you know. You don't need to be a landowner to go to heaven. You can go to heaven without learning. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be at university or, or to have a PhD and, a, and not knocking those that have. Do you know you could even go to heaven without friends? But you can never go to heaven without Christ. Because there's no other way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, and, 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 and the text says, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. And, and, and there's nothing in Christ that you need to be ashamed of. And we need to stand up for Christ. And we need to show forth Christ. And even though he's laughed at and ridiculed and mocked, and even though we be persecuted and pressurized, let's never be ashamed of Christ. Let me tell you a wee story as we come to a close. A group of boys were playing basketball in a nearby public school in a town in the United States of America. And they noticed this elderly man, only one person there watching them, but he wasn't really watching them. He was the janitor. That's the man that the caretaker had to close up the school grounds afterwards. And he's waiting for the boys to finish. And he's reading a book. And the boys noticed him as they were playing, he was reading this book. So the boys went up to him afterwards, and one of the boys asked him what he was reading. This is what he said. I'm reading the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Well, there was laughter. And one of them said, well, you're reading the Bible. What's the Bible all about? And he said, the Bible's about Christ. About a Savior who was born for us, who lived for us a sinless life. A Savior who died for us on the cross and shed his blood. A Savior that arose again bodily from the dead. A saviour that ascended to heaven and now represents us there. A saviour that's coming back to this earth for us. If you're ready. One wee fella said to him, well, what does that all mean, sir? And this was his reply. Jesus Christ is the winner in the end. Now they understood about winning. Jesus Christ is not only going to win. Jesus Christ has already won. Jesus Christ is already Lord of all. And he's going to win in the end. Even the devil, the minions of hell, will bow the knee to his glory. Declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And there's the presentation of the Savior. Fill your mind with who he is. Fill your mind with the need, I must confess Christ. And ask yourself, have I called upon him for salvation? Am I Looking to him as the ultimate winner 
in the end. Think very quickly in in closing, just the principle of salvation. It says, whosoever believeth. The, The word believeth means to trust in, adhere to, and rely on Christ. And that was something I emphasized in the top of the town in Tandragian Friday in our forming of the ring service. I was thinking about the Protestant religion. And one of the great planks or principles of the true Protestant religion is only belief. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And if you don't want to perish in a Christless hell then and have eternal life, then you must have a time in your life when you trust in Christ, you must adhere to him, and you must rely on him. And the, think of the word whosoever. This is all classes of people. This is for the Jew and the, the Gentile. As the Bible says, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that, that call upon them. And the opposite, of course, of belief is unbelief. And the curse of unbelief is a real curse today. And I could think about the character of unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. The Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And unbelief as a sin begets and fathers many other sins. But here's a cure for your unbelief. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. True faith is a gift of God. It's freely given by the Savior through the instrumentality of the Spirit. And true faith compels us to receive Christ as he's offered in the gospel. True faith means that we we call in Christ, not only the Pope or the priest or the church or the pastor. True true faith involves a resting on Christ alone for salvation, a, a trusting him. Think of this word, rich unto all. The Lord Jesus Christ bestows many wonderful blessings to those that call upon them. And one of those blessings is the blessing of salvation. In one of Rembrandt's paintings of the cross, there's three crosses, and the viewer is encouraged to look upon the center cross, thinking of Christ there dying in agony and blood. The viewer is also encouraged to look at the various facial expressions of the individuals in the crowd. But if you look closely at that Rembrandt painting, there's another little figure away, tucked away into a corner. That figure has a very forlorn look, frightened, scared look, deep in thought. Many of the art critics believe that's a a representation of the great Rembrandt himself. Because Rembrandt realized he was a sinner. And he had a soul. And that he needed to be saved. And it was his personal sins that helped nail Christ to the tree. And once you realize that. You bow the knee and receive the gift of salvation through calling on the Lord. Then not only do you receive that wonderful gift, but you receive many other wonderful gifts beside. He's rich unto all that call upon him. Here's the principle of salvation. Whosoever believeth in him. And those were the three thoughts that came to me. And I said, well, Lord, you've given me that. And that's what I preach on Sunday morning. The power of the scriptures. 
Oh, that we would rediscover that. Oh, that we would think about this presentation of the Savior as he's revealed in the old book. And we get back to this principle. The just shall live by faith. Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. May the Lord take his word and bless it to our hearts.